Well, it's uh, great to meet you folks. Uh, great to have a chance to, to be with you. Uh, and uh, I understand that you've been in a kind of a series that's Holy Spirit oriented. And uh, I wanted to come and talk to you on this question, what is Pentecost? Because I wanted to kind of go in the flow of where you were going. And I'm hoping in some way that uh, this can be a little bit of a dialogical sort of a thing. Maybe even if, if, I, if there's a little time at the end of my, my allotted time, I hope that we could maybe uh, even have some conversation. So uh, what is Pentecost? Now, let me tell you something. I wasn't raised in the church. I, I was 19 years old when I became a believer, a follower of Jesus. I, uh, I uh, was uh, strung out on drugs, uh, on the verge of being an alcoholic, flunking out, of, flunking out of Western, if you can believe it or not. I come from Quebec, and I left home to get as far away from home as I could possibly imagine. It turned out that was London, Ontario. Beyond this, there be dragons. So this is where we ended up, and uh, it was a great, great experience for me, of course, to flunk out of university and realize I'm going to have to take my sorry carcass home and explain to my family that I'd wasted my mother's, my widowed mother's money. Anyway, it was a terrible thing. I became a believer at the end of that school year, and, uh, and, and, and very quickly after I became a Christian, I was warned about Pentecostals. You know, you may want to go to church somewhere. You should go to church, David, but you've got to stay away from those Pentecostals. They're, they're cuckoo, you know. Uh, they, they swing on chandeliers. They, they, they do crazy things. And, and, and uh, one day, when I went back to university at Bishop's University in Lenoxville, Quebec, um, I walked into a tiny little Pentecostal church. Here it is. Take a look at it. Uh, there it is. Lenoxville Pentecostal Church. And I experienced something there I had never encountered before. What was it? Was it craziness? Uh, was it a denomination? Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Was it a nice bunch of people? Well, it was a nice bunch of people. But I think what I experienced was something of Pentecost. And that's what I want to share with you uh, this evening. Uh, what does it mean to experience Pentecost? And, 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 I, and so what I want to move to is I want to move to a conversation about, about what is it when the Holy Spirit becomes a living dynamic in your life or mine? So let's, let's start where Pentecostals often do in Acts chapter 1. And I want us to drop down, if you've got a little Bible kind of a thingy with you, but there's scripture verses on the screen, to verses 9 through 11. Uh, Jesus is, is speaking, and it says, after he said this, and we'll talk about what it was he said in a minute, he was taken up from before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly... Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee. Why do you stand here looking in the sky? And I, I have a feeling that their jaws were sort of dropping too, you know, kind of like, you know. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, there's a you know, big theological word for what's going on here. It's called the ascension. Uh, and it's only recorded in Luke's work, uh, at the end of Luke's gospel and here it, at the beginning of the book of Acts. But if you stop to think about it, like this is a mind-boggling, crazy event. Like, like, I mean, what's going on here? As, as you know, Jesus has been chatting with them, he's been teaching them, he's been hanging around with them. Uh, the, uh, the teacher miracle worker that these disciples have, have been following was crucified. Do you remember that? And, and, and then three days later, their despair turns into delight when he's raised from the dead. And now for weeks, he's been showing up at mealtimes, showing up while they're walking down the road, hanging out with them in the heat of the day. And then just as they've gotten used to the new, improved Jesus, this. He starts to ascend. Now, this is something they've never seen before. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that before? He just kind of starts to rise. He's not levitating. He just keeps going up. He keeps ascending till he's taken up into a cloud. Can, guys, can you track with me? Where'd he go? Like, 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 does he just keep going up? Like, you know, here comes Jupiter, there goes Mars. Like, I mean... Like, what's going on here? Does he pass into a different dimension? Uh, does, he, does he cross the boundary between time and eternity? Let's face it, we just don't have definitive answers here. But the angels tell the disciples, and this is what I want you to hear, the same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, that's weird and wonderful, miraculous, and supernatural. But the take-home here is that the entire... Listen, get this, because it's essential. The entire history of the church is bracketed by these two unbelievably supernatural events. The whole thing, the church, is bracketed by these two crazy things that happen. The, this same Jesus of whom Jesus, of whom Luke says in, in, in verse 1, uh, I wrote uh, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. That's the gospel of Luke. I wrote about all that he began to do and teach after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, what, what Luke's essentially saying is in my first volume, I told you about what Jesus began to do, but this is volume two, and I'm going to tell you about what Jesus continues to do after he's taken up from you. Till he returns the same way that he left. The supernatural ascension is bracketed by the supernatural return. And in between, and here's the piece we need to capture, in between is the supernatural church age. Somebody say, wow. Come on, say it backwards. Wow. 
Like it's, that's quite something. This church age is intended to be the intersection of, of, of the heavenly, of the divine, with the earthly. Don't believe me? Well, what were those instructions? Remember, I, it said you know, that, the, that he had just been talking and then he was taken up. What were those instructions that, uh, that Jesus had been giving uh, before uh, he began to ascend? Well, for that, you've got to drop down to verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they don't have a clue what he's talking about. Well, what's that mean? We'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They don't know. But what they do know is, is that, is that there's, there's a gift that the Father has promised, and as the book of Acts teases out, we discover that the link between the same Jesus who's passed into heaven and these disciples who are stuck right here like you and me on planet Hollywood, the link between them is something called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So much so that they assume that spirit baptism means the end of the age. It's the ushering in of the age to come. And, and they're trying to put the pieces together and listen to the question that it raises for them. Then they gathered around him and they said, wait a second, Lord, hold on, wait. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is this the moment we've been waiting for when the Romans get overthrown, when, when the reign of God comes to the earth and, and everything as, as it always was supposed to be? Is, is that what's going to happen, Jesus? Is that what's going to happen? Now, now, guys, it makes sense to their, their computer brains. They have no conception of what God has in mind. It makes sense to them, but meh. Close, but no cigar. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. And in Greek, the, the words here are the chronoi or the karoi. I always like, I always like to kind of give that little Greek thing, because you know, after all, I'm a theologian. Um, it, it, he, he says, it's not for you to know the, the, the times or dates, the chronoi or the kairoi that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even London, Ontario. Told you, beyond this there be dragons. Boys, you don't have the spiritual insight to seize the complexities of the kingdom. The difference between what's here and now and what's there and then. But his answer reminded them that the chronoi and the kairoi were in God's hands. In other words, both the times that must elapse before the establishment of the kingdom, the chronoi, you know what? The march of days, you know, like, like 
How long? How many of you, of course, you got to understand, I'm a Jesus people. I come at the tail end. Anybody have you ever heard of the Jesus people? Anybody? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it's the hippies that all came to Jesus. I, I'm the end of the... T- I, I, I'm a wannabe hippie. I, I, you know, I, I wanted to go to Woodstock, but my mummy wouldn't let me. <laughs> I was just too young. But inside, I'm a wannabe hippie. And, 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 uh, and, 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 you know, the Jesus people, we were expecting Jesus to come, like, right now. Like, I mean, everything is fitting into place. The Lord is coming. How many of you know some people think the Lord is coming next week? This, this, anyway. I, I, I was filled with that kind of anticipation. But, but here's the thing. We're stuck here in the chronoi, in the, in the regular march of days, the time t- 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 that must elapse before the final establishment of the kingdom. He says, he says the chronoi are in God's hands, but so are the chiroi, the critical events accompanying the establishment of that kingdom. And both of these, the regular everyday stuff and the chiroi, the critical events, those moments where God bursts through and and all of a sudden is... Have you ever had one of those experiences where, I don't know, you're praying, you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it feels like, like it's... I'm not just reading the Bible, I'm meeting with God. Or a worship experience, or some moment where it just feels like you're, you're touching heaven. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ever had any of those moments where you just sense? Well, what Jesus is saying is all of that is in God's hands. And between those two dates, between the chronoi and the chiroi, you will be my witnesses. You. At your job. You. At the school. You. In the neighborhood. You will be my witnesses. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to be witnesses to Jesus? Well, first in the most literal sense, it means that the apostles give witness to the life and the ministry and to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. This historic, authentic testimony that the apostles give to to the time they spent with this man Jesus is absolutely essential to the gospel. Because the gospel is not just a myth or a hoax or a legend. The gospel is that this same Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, he has literally gone to heaven and he will just as literally return to the earth. You know what? We, we touched him, we saw him, we spoke with him, we ate with him after he died and rose from the dead. And we watched him go. That witness is essential to the gospel. But more than that, we too are his witnesses. We too are people who have had our own individual encounters with the resurrected Christ. Perhaps not physical, but nonetheless still real. And and, 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 and we're witnesses of the transformation that he brings and of the community that he creates. But what will make the difference between Christian witness and other religious rhetoric? 
How many of you are aware that we live in a world? You know, we're supposed to be in the secular world, but we're in a world that has more religious rhetoric than there has ever been before. Do you notice that? Like everybody's selling something. There, there's, there's, there's a thousand and one religious messages for you to listen to. And, and why would anybody listen to the Christian message any more than any other message? Ah, I'll tell you why. Because you will receive power. You will receive spiritual effectiveness to be my witnesses. Guys, Pentecost is that, that dynamic that's intended to make the difference. It's intended to change uh, not just the words that we say, but how they are heard and how they are received. Pentecost is what authenticates the witness. We will have power that persuades. We will have power that draws in and woos. We will have power that serves and loves. We will have power that makes real in flesh and blood and soul and spirit the gospel message of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Boy, that's good stuff. Somebody say amen. That's really good stuff. Okay, listen to Acts 2 now. Now, for some of you, you may have been raised with this and heard it a million times. For others of you, you might have sort of like, you know that this, is, this church is related to the Pentecostal, blah, blah, blah. But it's not clear to you what that all... And, and, and for some of you, you're maybe a little bit suspicious of this crazy stuff. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under uh, heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed. They were astonished saying, wait a sec, hang on, well, what's going on? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all we're amazed. I'm going to ask you to say it again because it's such a great word. Can somebody say wow? Wow. All were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, what the heck is going on? 
What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, Yeah, they're filled with new wine. So, I, I, I started out by saying, what is Pentecost? Now, I'm going to give you a few clues. A few clues. What is Pentecost? First, even the anticipation of Pentecost creates unity. That's it. There's a kind of implausible unity of heart. These individuals, you've got you to go and look at the story and, and be, sort of live in the story a little bit. These, these individuals come from all kinds of different backgrounds. They're all kinds of different people who just wouldn't naturally be together in the same social group. I mean, you've got Peter and Andrew and their cousins, James and John. They're small businessmen. They're fishermen. Uh, you've got Matthew or Levi a low-life collaborator with the Romans, tax collector, hated by just about everybody. Then you've got Roman-hating Simon the Zealot. He's already part of a political party. He's part of a kind of a terrorist group. And, and, and Simon the Zealot. And, and yet somehow, these people who are so diverse and so completely from different backgrounds, they're drawn together by a common bond to Jesus. And his promise is that not many days from now, something is going to happen. Well, Pentecost, it forms a prayer movement. And from Acts 1, we surmise that 120 believers had gathered in the upper room and as the old King James Version puts it, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There was a palpable unity of heart, a vision of some kind of unanticipated future, and with it, a yearning, a hunger that bound them as one in prayer. That's Pentecost. Unity of heart. It has a way of bringing disparate strands together and binding us with a common vision of transforming the world. That's what it's about. Next, guess what? Something did happen. Something unpredictable, unexpected, something supernatural happens. And they have no idea what to expect. They're just praying and waiting. Isn't, didn't, what did Jesus say? In a few days, you will be back. Do you remember when Jesus said that? In a few days. How many is a few days? What do you think? What's a few days for you? Hello? Three. Three, three is a few. That's pretty, that's pretty clear. Three. I was going to say two or three. I mean, four maybe? Six, eight? Guys, the few days that, that Jesus... Ten days. Ten days, they're gathering together. Maybe they slept there. I don't know. But they, they're gathering together for ten days. How many of you have ever waited a few days for a baby to be born? Anybody here waited a few days for... Hello, any mothers in the house? <laughs> when, when, when our fourth child was born, we, we're, we're part of some of those crazy people. We got five. I know. But when the fourth child was born, she came a month late. 
I mean, maybe we had the wrong dates, you know. She came a month late. I mean, by the time we were, you know, waiting a few days, you know what? I was getting lower back pains. I was getting, you know, swelling in the ankles. Uh, you know, it was awful. Uh, Ten days. Then, suddenly, from heaven. Boy, those are, those are big words. Something from outside of us. Something that we cannot control. We cannot create ourselves. We can't, you know what? We're dependent on, on some kind of a God who, well, you know what? The reformers called it extra nos, outside of us. Suddenly, from heaven, they began to speak in tongues. <laughs> what? I mean, what is that? I mean, nobody told them that they're going to speak in tongues. Nobody told them that they would be talking in different languages. What is this? Speaking a language that you've never been taught. I'll tell you a little secret. Can you guys lean in? Could you just humor me? I mean, there's just a few of us. And can you lean in for just a second? I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a little secret. Lean in just a bit. Come on. Pretend. Okay? Listen. Pentecost is unpredictable. I don't know if you've ever heard of this happening. I had a, a friend named Carol Matheson. I pastored in Sudbury for 10 years. I could take you up to Sudbury and you can meet Carol. She's an, a, an elderly woman now. But she'll talk to you about this like it happened yesterday. Carol Matheson in the early 70s had been exposed to the charismatic movement. And, and, and she began to pray. She wanted to get closer to Jesus. She wanted to know Jesus better. And she began to pray and pray and, and, and really press in. I, I don't know how to say it other than press into God. You know, Lord, Lord, make yourself known to me. Lord, use me. God, she began to pray. And I don't know how long this went on for. But one night, she sat up bolt upright in bed and began yammering in a language she'd never heard before. Like she just began making noises. And, 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 and she, she, it wasn't that she couldn't stop herself, it's that she didn't really want to stop herself. But while she was doing it, she was kind of like, what is this? I don't know what's going on. And so afterwards, the next day, she began to, to you know, she called her pastor and asked him, have you ever heard of anything like this? She began to ask questions and look around. And of course, it wasn't very long before she was taken to Acts chapter 2. It wasn't very long before she was taken to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. And, and, and she began to understand, oh, this is that. This is, this is what happened to the disciples. It's unpredictable. And these disciples had no idea what was happening either. I mean, they'd never heard of anything like that. You can look in the Bible if you want. There's not a, nothing to intimate speaking in tongues. Uh, but they began to do it. Pentecost is unpredictable. So let me, let me ask you this question. Can I get personal? 
Do you have room in your life for the unpredictable? Do you have room in your life for God to show up and do something unanticipated? Do you have space in your world for God to surprise you, maybe even shock you, and, and to begin to do things, and to rearrange life sometimes, but, but one way or another, is there room in your life for the unpredictable? Do we have space in our church life for the unpredictable? I don't mean it is the unpredictable happening every day in your life, because guess what? If you're having unpredictable every day for supper, guess what? <laughs> it's not unpredictable anymore, right? So, so, so it's not about every day or every week, cause, but, but, but is there a certain... Do you remember when you were a kid uh, and, and, and it would come around to Christmas time and, and, and you know something's afoot? Maybe you're, you're just old enough to know Santa's coming, you know, and, and, and you're just waiting, you're waiting, you're getting excited. Christmas Eve, I mean, I, I remember uh, one year trying to go to bed around 4.30 in the afternoon because I'm anticipating. Do you anticipate anything anymore as a Christ follower? That's Pentecost. Unpredictability. And then third, and finally, you'll be glad to know, unity of heart. Unpredictability. And then some kind of unarguable supernatural inbreaking. Now, these guys have been with Jesus for three and a half years. <laughs> like, what haven't they seen? I mean, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. <laughs> now, guys, this is not just legend. This is not just myth. This is supernatural reality. Go show yourself to the priests, Jesus would say. You're healed. You're cleansed. Everybody knew something was going on. So check out these verses in Acts chapter 2 and verse 7 and then 13 and 14. As the crowd heard these Galileans, these Jews, speaking languages they had never heard before, they were amazed. Do you remember that? Astonished. All were amazed and perplexed, saying, to one another, what does this mean? Let me tell you something, guys. Listen, it's another, it's another one of those. Lean in. When the Spirit is at work, people inside and outside may be bewildered. They may be amazed. They may be astonished. Some will wonder, what does this mean? And sadly, others will think, eh, it's just bunk. They're filled with new wine. 
But one way or another, we all respond to the Spirit. You've seen that with friends and family. Some respect your faith. In fact, they wish that they could believe like you believe. And, and when, they, when trouble comes up, they even ask you to pray. Hey, um, uh, do you mind, could, 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 you, could you pray for me about this? It's really important in my life. And, and, and they come to you because they know that you're one of those people that, that, that has some kind of relationship with God. Some, some of your family get it. There's something going on. There's something afoot in your life. And others, how many of you have people in your family that just don't get it? Anybody got friends that don't get it? They think you're cray-cray. Like, I mean, you know, lifting your hands, singing to walls. And maybe we've all known people who've, who've uh, uh, experienced something, maybe a miracle, maybe a healing. Like, like it, was, it was a real, genuine healing, and yet they continue to live in disbelief. You know what, guys, listen to me. This is important. Sometimes the supernatural isn't enough. I mean, it, 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 it. miracles don't convince people. They just create opportunity for something more. Discussion, demonstration, debate. But that's Pentecost. Unity of heart, unpredictable, but unarguable. Something is going on. But if miracles are not enough, what more could possibly be needed? The demonstration, not of spirit-filled life, but of spirit-full life. You see, we all know those stories in the book of Acts. Uh, if, you know, if you read through the book of Acts, there's all these moments where they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Or, or, or like Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit when he spoke to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. Paul being filled with the Spirit when he blinded the sorcerer Elymas in Acts chapter 13. It, it, they're these punctiliar moments when the Spirit... It's a kairos moment. The Spirit comes in. He floods and, and, and something happens. Maybe you've had a moment like that when you've had a chance to pray with something, somebody and, and they can feel something happened. Or, or you, you, know, you, you have an opportunity to, to talk about Jesus with a, a guy that you work with uh, and, and, and somehow it, it's just elevated because the Spirit has, has walked into the situation. But, but one way or another... We have these spirit-filled moments, but I'm not talking here about the punctiliar moments of the Holy Spirit filling people. I'm talking about the spirit-full life. The spirit-full community. Notice I said spirit-full, not spirit-filled. Because now I'm not pointing to uh, so much miracles and signs and wonders. Because that's not the totality of the Pentecostal message. 
maybe not even the heart of the Pentecostal message. We tend to put the emphasis on that stuff, stuff that happens in a moment of time. And of course, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. But what is the climax, guys? If you have a Bible or if you've read these two chapters, Acts 1 and 2, what is the real climax of Acts 1 and 2? I'll tell you what it is. Actually, I'll tell you right now because it really fits with this place. Praxis Church. My favorite passage in the whole Bible about the church. What is the church intended to be? What kind of church do you want to belong to? What, I'll tell you, the church that I want to belong to is this church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Praxis, praxis, put it into action, live it out. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is a praxis church. And look what it says. In fact, could I get you to read it all with me? The, the, that last sentence it begins with, and the Lord. Let's read it together, okay? okay? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And that's what I'd love to see happen for you. I'd love to be a part of a church where that's happening because we've discovered the praxis. I'm going to pray real quick and then I got time for a couple of conversations to begin and then I'm going to give it right back to Pastor Drew. Father, how I thank you for your word. It's alive. It's living and active. Lord, I want to open my spirit to receive that word. And Lord, I want to be that church. I want to be that believer, that disciple. And so Lord, enable me to walk in that kind of a world. In Jesus' name, amen.